the Eternity Podcast Network. EternityPodcasts.com.au Hello, I'm Jenny Salt, and welcome to Salt, a place where we'll enter into the lives of people and discover heartwarming, sometimes challenging, yet always distinctive gospel stories. at the beginning we just didn't know what was going to happen didn't know how busy we were going to get we didn't know what life was going to look like what work was going to look like I think we just presumed we would all get COVID and hopefully you know survive it my guest today is Tamara Flinders Tam is a wife actually a minister's wife a mum to three daughters, and she is an emergency physician working on the front line of COVID in a busy Sydney hospital emergency department. Every shift brings very sick people into her orbit, many with COVID. But through it all, what keeps her grounded is her relationship with God and the desire to be an ambassador for Christ, whatever the context. Welcome, Tam. Thanks, Jen. (laughs) Well, Tam, you grew up on the south coast of New South Wales. Where specifically did you grow up? I grew up in Ulladulla, which is a lovely seaside town down on the south coast. Yeah, it is lovely. I've driven through there many times. Uh, And we're talking probably, what, 30 years plus ago? Yeah, thank you for for adding the plus because I thought your maths was very bad then. Yes, I guess I left there almost exactly 30 years ago. ago. So I left once I'd finished school to go to uni, but my early years were all there. Yeah. And uh, for anyone who has driven through or into Ulladulla now, or maybe even stopped there. (laughs) Or maybe stopped. Yes, it's definitely worth stopping in. It's quite a bustling centre on the south coast. But what was it like for you growing up 30 plus years ago in Ulladulla? Yeah, it was a a lovely place to grow up. It was a smallish town then. Um, my dad was also born and bred there, so when he grew up it was tiny. Um, but it was a small town. We knew most of the people, the kids at school, your families would know their families and um, the history of their family. It would be a long trip to go down the street with mum because you'd bump into so many people that... <laughs> You knew, um, yeah, there was really lovely community place to grow up, mm. yeah. And uh, was was church a part of that um, growing up for you? Were you? Did you grow up in a Christian home? I didn't. Um, we were baptised or christened when we were kids, um, but we didn't go to church. We weren't even, uh, you know, Easter and Christmas visitors. We, my parents were lovely community-minded people and good people but really, um, yeah, not churchgoers. My nan used to go to church and she uh, got us kids to go to Sunday school on occasion. I only remember going once. Um, I think my brothers maybe went a little bit more but, um, yeah, no, not really a Christian family but a, a happy home, mm. um, you know, two parents, two older brothers and Mm. Yeah. 
and many visits to the to the beach. And uh, what what about um, the holiday times? Did you guys want to get away from Aladala during over the holidays? Given lots of people coming into Aladala, uh, that's a good question. We used to do a big shop and sort of just stay at home for the holidays. We had lots of people who would come and stay with us. Mm. One particular family that came down every year in the school holidays over the new year for about two weeks because we were the holiday town. Yes. But um, my dad was a, a fisherman, professional fisherman, and his busy time actually for lobster, catching lobster was over the summer. Yeah. So we more likely went away in the winter um, for a week and just enjoyed the holiday town that we were in for yes. the summer. Yeah. yeah. So you grew up in a happy home uh, with two brothers, two older brothers in your mum and dad, uh, but it wasn't a home that was a Christian home as such. How did you first hear the gospel then, Tam? Uh, well, as you can imagine, growing up in Ulladulla, there's there are some things to do, the beach, and um, but not a lot of, I guess, sort of social activity. We were a bit jealous. We didn't have a McDonald's, a skating rink, a um, you know, bowling alley. You all had to go to Nara for that sort of thing. So there was not much to do on the weekends. And my friends invited me to youth group on Friday nights. Um, and I went along to that because that was a nice, you know, sort of social gathering. Some of my friends went along. Um, yeah, it was really, it was fun. And I went there just at the beginning just because it was fun. Um, a few months later we I remember going on a camp and we didn't travel very far we just went down to Brill Pines um there was a speaker there who was from Christian Surfers and he did some talks over the weekend the main one that I remember was he spoke on Psalm 51 where David um who has committed sin is you know now very repentant and um needing forgiveness from God and I realized that although I was a good kid and grew up in a good family, you know, I really needed God's forgiveness. And mm. so that weekend I, you know, gave my life to Christ and asked um, him to come and forgive me. You actually remember that talk and that passage and that's what actually was the catalyst for you becoming a Christian. Yeah, very, remember that talk very, very clearly and walking away, it was the 3rd of May, Wow. Um, walking away and sitting down and just thinking, yeah, I need forgiveness. That's yeah. amazing. How old were you, Tam? I was in year nine, mm. 14. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so mm. becoming a Christian at the age of 14, what was the impact of that local church of which you were continuing to be part of the youth group mm. and the impact of, of even the leadership of that church for you and also for your family? Did there, was there any sort of connection with the church for your family as well? There was. Um, initially, initially I didn't feel like there was a lot, you know. I, I learned how to pray through, you know, youth group and church. I learned about reading my Bible. Um, I'd sort of always prayed my school prayer in my head before I went to sleep anyway, but learning how to expand my prayers from that. Mm. Um, a couple of years later, I was in year 11. One of my brothers was killed um, mm. in a car accident, very sadly. He'd just finished uni, was on a break before he started his mm. first job. Um, and 
at that point, I think the church became very significant for me particularly and mm. for my family. Uh, obviously, there's things you've got to do, you know, have a funeral, mm. um, those sort of things. But just the um, connecting with the minister, the minister at the time was Stephen Abbott and um, my parents still have a very soft spot for him and mm. for the the way he helped them out and mm. um, yeah, just guided them through that that time. Mm. For me, I remember um, I remember the very day that we heard that Greg had died, mm. and I just remember so many people not knowing what to say, saying things that might help us to feel better. You know, I mean, it's difficult. It's an awful time and people don't know what to say. Felt like lots of it was just airy, fairy stuff. And I distinctly remember um, when Stephen Abbott came around and stepped into my room and I just felt here is the truth and someone who, as awful as the truth may be, I know mm. I can trust with what is actually true mm, mm. um yeah yeah uh, that what a what a traumatic horrible thing to happen to for your parents to lose one of their sons and for you to lose one of your brothers how did you as a christian process this this terrible thing that had happened um i found it really difficult i'd actually in all my um, enthusiasm as a new Christian had shared the gospel relentlessly a little bit with my brother. He had the pleasure of driving me to Perth the year before, so we were stuck together in a car for <laughs> a long time. <laughs> and we actually had a lovely trip, but we did manage to, you know, talk quite a bit about the gospel. And um, I felt like at least I had given him a chance to know mm. the truth and I don't know, you know, what he'd done with that. Mm. Um, but I was pleased about that. And I, another, you know, funny is probably not the right word thing, I overheard some people from church saying this will make or break her Christian life. Mm. And I, I didn't quite understand that because I thought I'm not sure why this makes a, di you know, makes a difference. Mm. But um it also maybe made me realise, you know, this is a significant thing and, you know, mm. I need to hold on to God um, and his promises right through this time. Yeah. One of the best God-led decisions I ever made was to take time out and study the Bible full-time at SNBC. So this is a bit of a nudge if you're thinking about full-time study too. With all the study options at SNBC, we just might be able to help you work through some of the obstacles preventing you from taking the next step. Whatever your age or life stage, there really are some great opportunities at SNBC to get to know God more deeply, grow in your faith, and be more confident in sharing the gospel with others. At the end of this podcast, check out snbc.edu.au forward slash study or just call us for a chat. You finished high school in Ulladulla and then uh, you went up to Sydney to uni and you studied medicine. Was that something that uh, you had always 
planned and hoped to do? Uh, not at all. Um, <laughs> I'd always, I'd always probably planned to go off to uni, so I did mm-hmm. relatively well at school. Um, I didn't think that I would ever get the marks to do medicine, so partly I wrote it down on my little form. This is a little bit of a joke, you know, a hope. <laughs> um, I'd and you know, in year twelve, you have all these people come and woo you with cadetships and. Mm. Um, you know, companies asking you to come and work with them and go and study. Um, so I thought about everything. I thought a bit about engineering. Greg had done engineering, so that was something I knew. One of my cousins had done engineering. We didn't have a lot of people who'd, you know, gone on um, to study at uni. Uh, I'd thought about, I did really want to help people, so I'd thought about occupational therapy or physiotherapy. Um, I spoke to some friends who was a friend who was an occupational therapist who'd said she was frustrated because she, um, you know, sometimes wanted to do more and was not allowed to. So if I could get into medicine, I should. So I thought I'd put it down and see what happened. And you got into medicine. So that was a very exciting day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so you you did the, the, uh, the long haul of six years of undergrad and then being an intern, a resident, a registrar. Then you specialised in emergency medicine. Why did Mm. you choose that? Um, I I sort of, when you are are a junior doctor and you're rotating around through different specialties, that sort of worked for me in that I just cancelled a lot of things out of the option list. (laughs) I don't (laughs) want to do that. I couldn't do that for the rest of my life. There's no way I want to do that for the rest of my life. I don't want to do... Um, surgery. Ironically, I hated wearing a mask, which you know, like I'm no. not going to be a surgeon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and in the end, I just loved emergency. I think because of the variety. So all the things that I didn't want to do for the rest of my life were there, but they were there in smaller parts, mm. and in between times, I could do other things. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's how mm. I think. And what's the track for those who want to specialise in emergency medicine? Uh, what do you have to do to become an emergency physician, which is what you are? Yeah, you do have to jump through a number of hoops. So it's a it's a specialty of its own. So it's a specialty of emergency medicine. You sit a primary exam at the beginning, which sort of has anatomy, physiology, a um, couple of other things. It's the more the basic sort of medical sciences. And it's about five years training, doing different specialties. Like you do some anesthetics, you do some pediatrics, you do general medicine and have to do a certain amount of things outside of the emergency department. And then at the end you sit a fellowship exam, um, which is really just a, to make sure that, you know, you're a competent emergency physician mm, mm. Um, and can put all your sort of knowledge of all the basic sciences together. Mm. Tam, do you remember the first day that you walked into the emergency department as a fully-fledged physician? <laughs> um, I, I don't remember exactly that day. Um, I, remember, I remember times in my training when um, I would walk in and be the most senior person in the department, and that was particularly on a night shift. And I, 
used to drive up to the hospital and I just remember my pulse rate going higher and higher <laughs> as I was parking my car and I'd walk in and, you, you know, you just don't know what you're going to find in there, you know. Um, and, yeah, you'd often walk in and, you know what, we're trained so well that often once you get there you you can just run with it but it's the not knowing of, you know, what is going to happen that really uh, causes that anxiety, I think. Mm. Mm. And what about as a Christian and an emergency physician? So facing life and death situations or facing things that are very confronting, do you remember a time when as a Christian you you were had to think or act in ways where you were consciously acting and thinking as a Christian? Um, I mean, sometimes at work I... I pray, like I do think I just need a moment here to actually pray. Um, probably doesn't happen as much as it should. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, there, I did get to a point where I just felt a bit overwhelmed at work. We had lots of COVID patients. We just had um, the RAAF bring in a few expats from Afghanistan and just emotionally, that was a really difficult moment and I just felt a bit overwhelmed and took a moment, stepped aside. Um, and I actually looked at my phone and one of my one of my friends had said, praying for you at the moment. And I thought, oh, that is just amazing and, you know, so timely and God was so kind. So there are times when I do step out and pray. Mm. Um, there are other times when, as a Christian, particularly dealing with Christian patients who are really struggling, it is, it's um, great to just be able to share hope with them and faith with them. And you can't always do that with patients. Uh, but if they've expressed Christian, um, you know, beliefs, that has been a really, I guess, just a rich time to um, tell them that I'm also a believer and, you know, we have that hope together. So they are some of the times. Mm. And that's huge. That's huge for anyone. But meanwhile, you're also <laughs> a wife, a wife to a minister, mm -hmm. more so. Um, you're a mum to three little girls, growing girls. Uh, what was it like to pursue that your career as an emergency physician, as well as being a wife, a minister's wife, and a mum? How did you do all that, Tam? Uh, in some ways... Emergency medicine was a good specialty in that I could do it mostly at the same hospital that I was at. I didn't need to do any big secondments to the country. That would have been very difficult. Um, I did work hard for a lot of years and I did have to sacrifice, you know, some things, not turning up to things. I always tried to put church or Bible study ahead of other things, but there's certainly times when I couldn't swap shifts or couldn't make it to things. Um, I remember when I was approaching my fellowship exam, one of the girls at work said, whatever you do, finish your exam before you have children. And then I immediately fell pregnant. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did my fellowship exam when Gemma was 18 months old, my oldest. Um, and that was, in some ways, that was good because it made me really focused. Like I could really only study when she was asleep. And I think there were probably other people doing 12, 14-hour days of studying and I had a couple of hours but I needed to just sit down and power mm. through it. So um, 
yeah, it was, you know, there's sacrifice. I had to say no to some things and, mm. yeah, it was a busy time. But Did you feel a pressure to be uh, a certain, like, you know, being a minister's wife, did you feel a pressure from within or from without to be a minister's wife in, mm. in terms of other people's expectations? Yeah, definitely at some points. Um, when Simon was at college, lots of the spouses of people at college did a year of study. I, you know, that was right at the beginning of my internship residency. So that was not good timing for me. But, you know, it did feel like that is the normal path. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so and definitely as a minister's wife, I mean, I'm not really sure I fit any of the moulds of the three <laughs> things perfectly and I don't know what that mould is, um, mm. you know, and what people do expect. I've, I have found that I think I sometimes perceive there's an expectation where actually there probably isn't. It's probably just what I, you know, mm. the perception in my head, mm. yeah. And how do you prioritise some things over others in, at various times? So obviously, you know, with, when your kids were younger and, and you know, when there have been things happening at church or, mm. you know, um, busy shifts at work, how do you work out what to prioritise? Yeah, that's been really difficult through the years because medicine is, in some ways, medicine it's so interesting and there is it's just endless the amount of time that you could spend studying it or practicing it is endless um whereas you know being in ministry is similar <laughs> you could spend everything there and parenting is also mm. you know similar so I've had to actually stop a number of times and just cognitively think what do I want to do how do I want to spend my time? Um, Simon said to me once, you know, at the at the end of your life, you want do you want to be remembered as a good parent or the best emergency physician, mm. you know, ever? And it's really I do sometimes think about that. What do I, mm. you know, I want to be a good emergency physician. Mm. Um, don't get me wrong, but it, it's I don't want that to be the whole summary of my life you know Mm. I want my children to think yeah she was a a great mum and a mum that taught us lots of things Mm. Um, a mum that spent time with us and that we were important to yeah so Mm. it is actually just stepping back and sometimes thinking through it Mm. Um, yeah Mm. yeah as an emergency physician so wearing one of those hats and thinking about that that hat now I'm sure that you've seen a lot in in the years that you've been an emergency physician, quite horrific things. What has especially affected you? I'm sure that different things affect different people. Mm. What has especially affected you when you think about your work in emergency? Yeah, sometimes there are things that um, affect me for reasons I can't explain at all. Um, Sometimes I, I step back at work and I think, this should really be affecting me more. Why am I not more emotionally involved in this and I can just do my job? Um, and, yeah, I think sometimes it's obvious, you know, if there's a young male who comes in who um, has been in a car crash and I relate that to my brother, obviously that sort of thing really mm. affects me. Um, uh, yeah, I can't – I 
maybe I, you know, if you anyone knows anything about psychology, they can probably explain it. <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> things are really significant for reasons I can't explain. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, they're not. It's it's maybe it's where I'm at in my life at that point of time. I'm just not sure. I want to tell you about another great podcast. It's called The Word on the Street with Anna Ware. Anna designs 10-minute Bible studies for you and your kids that you can do literally anywhere, in the car, in your home, and they're full of great questions, helpful answers, and great reflections on the Bible. If you'd like to subscribe to this and other great podcasts, go to eternitypodcasts.com. We're at the end of 2021 or near the end of 2021. We've been living through 18 months or so or perhaps more of a global pandemic and uh, all of us are feeling it uh, in different ways. But for those who are working on the front line, so to speak, like you are, Tam, I'm sure it's especially challenging. Uh, what's it been like for you as you think back over the last 18 months or more and think about in Sydney at least two significant lockdowns, uh, what's it meant for you as you work on the front line? Mm. It's been, I mean, it's been really difficult at times. I remember we were in New Zealand when we first heard about COVID at all um, in January of last year. And just thinking, I'm about to get an email. I'll get an email any day now from the hospital saying, look out for people with fever and whatever. And you just know, I mean, as emergency physicians, um, we're very good at taking what comes to us because we can never predict what's going to come through the door. And in some ways, this is just that on a massive scale. Um, it it's sometimes it's been anxiety provoking. So at the beginning, we just didn't know what was going to happen, didn't know how busy we were going to get. We didn't know um, what life was going to look like, what work was going to look like. I think we just presumed we would all get COVID um, and hopefully, you know, survive it. Um, we've just been so fortunate in Australia to have had so little COVID here and to have seen the overseas experience and seen what our colleagues have done and we've benefited a lot from mm. from seeing how they've managed covid mm. um and and just giving us an idea of where to go and what to do and what it what life could look like mm. yeah and i'm sure your workplace in terms of even the how the emergency department is structured now and all of that has changed quite a bit how how has that changed yeah it just sometimes it feels like it changes on a daily basis so we have to change we've obviously changed what we wear um you know we're in ppe we're wearing n95 masks for the whole of our shift we've had to change Physically, the department and where we manage patients, um, because we the numbers of the confirmed COVID patients versus the ones we're investigating for COVID versus the people that we don't think have COVID at all, those proportions change. So we need to shift the department, um, and so we get these emails: "We're moving everything again, <laughs> and we're going to the next level." 
And the other, a couple of weeks ago, we went to a level three thing, you know, and then by the time it was 6 p.m. that night, we needed to change again to level four and move everything again. So um, we've just needed to be nimble on our feet mm. and and change. And that's difficult for some people, probably for people who work in the emergency department, it's not as difficult as mm. some. But some things have been really hard, things like, obviously seeing very pe- people very sick with COVID. Also just because we can't have visitors or family in the department, for people who have, you know, dementia or are elderly or don't have English as their first language, um, they're there by themselves and it's just so difficult when normally they would have a support person or someone who can translate for them, Um yeah, it's been really difficult to see, you know, those people really struggling. Mm. Um, other people who've found it hard to understand, people with mental illness or um, disability who really don't understand COVID well and how to manage it well and we sort of sound like we're bossing them around and, um, yeah, trying to keep people safe. So that's also been very difficult as well as just the thought that um, we could get it, you know, one of my colleagues a couple of weeks ago became infected with COVID through work and as careful as we are, you know, just sometimes that breaks mm. through. So, mm. yeah. And that must also mean that as much as you worry about you getting COVID, that you also could potentially be taking it home to your family as well. Yeah, it, exactly. And it, my family, my community, you know, we yes. live in an area where there's not much COVID. I mm. work in one of the LDAs of concern. So, um, yeah, I'm very cognizant of that. Mm. But, mm. Yeah, that, that's a possibility. And I, I wonder whether you have you had people who, because they're conscious of where you're working, have people been wanting to avoid you for fear that you might be carrying it to, you know, your community? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, and that was quite confronting early on mm. last year mm. when someone said they didn't want to catch up with me and I was sort of, oh, I, you know, I do feel like I am a risk. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was quite confronting to mm. hear that. Mm. And while it probably is reality, you know, we're, although we're very careful, mm. you know, that is, mm, mm. is possible. So uh, there's also all this debate about vaccination versus remaining unvaccinated. For you as a medical professional, how do you cope or deal with uh, the debate around um, being vaxxed or unvaxxed? Um, it, it's really it's really tough and I think a lot of, there's been a lot of misinformation, there's been a lot of nasty things said, people labelled um, and you know, I think vac- I'm amazed that we have a vaccination uh, already. You know, at the beginning of last year, people were talking about when we get a vaccination, we'll get a vaccination. I'm like, I, I think a vaccination is going to be years away. But I guess when you have the weight of the whole world's scientific um, expertise uh, putting, you know, their minds to this one thing, it, it's it's great that we do have a vaccination and it's absolutely incredible that we have had it in this time frame. Mm. I think it's it's difficult to see um, people, I guess the, the message is not always clear for people and it's very hard to access 
what is good information and what isn't. Um, I think sometimes, you know, vaccination is not without risk, but I think sometimes people think there's a risk if I get vaccinated and compare that to not having anything, whereas I see COVID and how awful it is and how people end up very sick and isolated from their families and and that's the other side. And I think as we open up, you know, COVID is going to be around. Um, we're just we're mainly trying to prevent people getting very sick with COVID and mm. needing hospitalisation and it's vaccination that's getting mm. us there. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I think I've had, you know, often I've chatted to a few people about it as they approach me. I don't like telling people what to do but... Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to see when they don't. It's difficult to get information mm. clearly mm. in other mm. ways. Yeah, and I mean, again, you're you're seeing it firsthand in all its horror, really. Mm. Um, so I guess you've got a perspective that others don't have. But having good information, I think, obviously, is going to make a big difference for people. Mm. And listening to people like you will be important, I think, uh, in in the bigger story of COVID. Mm. Tam, I, I love that question that Simon, your husband, asked you, I don't know when he asked you, but perhaps early in your medical career about how is it that you want to be remembered or how do you mm. want to be remembered? So let's come back to that and, and mm. uh, how do you want to be remembered or, or how does being a Christian impact your life as an emergency physician, as a wife and a mum? Mm. I think I... Um... I want to be remembered as a faithful servant no matter what I'm doing. Um, and I also want to remember that in all of what we do, there's an eternal perspective. So often when I when I am struggling a bit, um, when I'm looking around at my work, I'm seeing people in the medical field sort of prospering and um, becoming better and better doctors and more and more knowledgeable. Um, and and that's tempting for me, you know. Um, but I often, I come back to Psalm 73. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a psalm that's really been helpful throughout the years. Um, and in it, the psalmist looks around and he sees um, the unbelievers prospering and thinks they have no cares, they have no worries, mm-hmm. they can just do what they mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. And there's an expression, a verse in the middle of that that says, until I entered the sanctuary of God mm. and then I, you know, saw their final destiny. Mm. And I think just here what we do, it, it's transient in some ways, mm. um, but just remembering that there is an eternity and an eternal hope and mm. um, trying to, yeah, both work and parent and be involved in ministry with that um, yeah, in the back of, well, in the front of my mind, mm. I guess. Mm, that's wonderful, yeah. Tam. That's a really good perspective. Thank you so much for sharing something of your life today. It's been so encouraging. Thanks, Tam. Thanks, Jenny. I hope you've enjoyed being part of the conversation with Tamara today and importantly, been encouraged to be salt and light to those around you. Next episode, I'll be talking with a man who began his working life as a plumber, but whose heart was always for preaching to young people. 
something he'd have to wait many years to come true. I'll see you then. Salt is hosted by me, Jenny Salt, and produced by Mark Hadley. Editing by Hadley Inc. For all show notes and more episodes, head to smbc.edu.au forward slash salt. Salt is a Sydney Missionary and Bible College podcast and part of the Eternity Podcast Network, an audio collection showcasing the seriously good news of faith today. Thanks for making Salt possible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean? The Psalm 23 podcast with me, Ben McKechn, and theologian David Honey is a limited series podcast where we dive deep into the world's most famous psalm. We thank God when we're in plenty. We look to God when we feel like we're being tested. We trust God at all times, regardless of the circumstances, knowing that he will deliver us like a shepherd delivers his sheep. So come and join us on a journey with the Good Shepherd. Whether you're in green pastures or not, the Psalm 23 podcast. You can get it at hopepodcast.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts.